Um, so I am thankful to be back with you all and to bring God's word to you this morning. Perhaps no question has dominated the mind of men more than this. For what purpose am I here? I wonder if you have given that question the thought it deserves. We will either find purpose in Jesus or we will not find purpose at all. R.C. Sproul said it like this. He said, quote, if there is no God, then there is no purpose. But if there is a God, then there is a purpose. And I'm sure you're all familiar with Shakespeare and Hamlet. In his famous uh, play, Shakespeare through Hamlet said this, to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether tis nobler to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take up arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing them to die to sleep. You see, Shakespeare understood that if there is no God, then there is no purpose. But if there is a God, then there is a purpose. And in our text today, we have a story of purpose unfolded before us. Here we see that purpose, meaning, and life everlasting are found in not in the things of this world or our accomplishments or our wealth or our status, but in God in the creator of the universe and the king of the universe, in our redeemer, Jesus. Purpose is found in Jesus himself, and that truth transforms everything, especially the family. So look with me at our text. Beginning in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 19, it says, Let, um, it says, Then the children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. And he laid hands on them and went away. Would you pray with me one more time? Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that we would hear your word, not mine, not anything I say, but the word of the Lord as written to us and preserved for us by your Holy Spirit through the scripture. Lord, that, that your people would be sanctified in your truth, that the lost would be brawn brought into the kingdom of God, brought from lost into to lead, to leader to salvation in Christ. Lord, especially for the children listening, Lord, I pray that they would see Jesus as ready to receive them with open arms. Lord, and that we would be faithful as families and a church family corporately to raise up the next generation in the gospel. Lord, I pray that, um, that you would bless us as we hear your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. From our text today, I want, us to, I want us to see that Jesus' love for children reflects his ultimate purpose, that they dwell with him in his kingdom. Jesus' love for children reflects his ultimate purpose, that they dwell with him in his kingdom. And I want to show you that through uh, three categories of people who Jesus transforms. Transform. So that's going to be our outline. Jesus transforms the purpose of parents. He transforms the purpose of his people, and Jesus transforms the purpose of children. So let's look now at our first point uh, from our text. Jesus transforms the purpose of parents. Beginning in verse 13, it says, Then the children were brought to him that they might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked the people. I can think of no more relevant 
text for us in today's modern world than this text from 2,000 years ago. Uh, today we see the rise of the modern child, a whole generation of children being raised in their own self-autonomy. Most parents today probably don't mean to do this, but functionally, as we've grown more nominal um, and as we've uh, lessened the importance of the church and of Christ in our lives, we become more and more disconnected from our ability to raise children with true, lasting purpose. So as we celebrate Father's Day, let us think biblically about the role of parents, and especially fathers of the next generation. So Jesus transforms the purpose of parents. How does Jesus transform our parenting? We see this first by the way that our parents respond to Jesus. They bring their kids to Jesus. There would be no doubt in the mind of the Jew in Jesus' day that a proper, uh, that proper upbringing for their children mattered. The, Jews pe the Jewish people really cared about that. They wanted to faithfully raise their children in the faith and to pass that faith on to the next generation. In Deuteronomy 6, we're told of a number of responsibilities of Jewish parents. These would have been applicable to the Jews in Jesus' day. And to the Jewish parent, faithfulness was first teaching the statutes that the Lord commanded. This would have been namely the Ten Commandments in the law that were given uh, to Moses at Mount Sinai by God. That's what the parents would have taught their children. Second, faithful parenting was teaching the fear of the Lord. It's not uh, fear like when something's scary, but it's a reverence. It's an awe for the Lord. They would have been um, teaching their children that God is God and that they are not. And third, faithful parenting was teaching their children to teach their own children those truths someday. In other words, to pass on the truths of their faith to the next generation who would be equipped to pass on the truth of that faith to the generation after them. The Lord has commanded parents to train their children and their grandsons to fear him. So parenting was always aimed at making disciples who could then make disciples. So how does Jesus transform this style of parenting? That's what Deuteronomy 6 told the Jewish people to do. Does Jesus overthrow that style of parenting? Well, I just want to submit to you that no, Jesus does not overthrow that style of parenting. Certainly, Jesus would ask that we continue to raise our children by teaching them the statutes and rules of the Lord, teaching them to fear the Lord, and teaching our children to raise up children who could then pass on that faith to the next generation. Jesus wants that to continue. But Jesus transforms parenting by transforming the purpose of parenting. You see, to the Jew, the purpose of parenting was covenant obedience. And with a covenant reward that your days may be long, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. To the Jew, the purpose of faithful parenting was to obtain the promised land that they were promised in the old covenant, that they would conquer under the lordship uh, of David as king, right? And, and through Joshua in the conquest, the land that they would be expelled 
uh, from, from their, for their faithless kings after Solomon and the divided kingdom and all the curses that came from disobedience to God's law, the land that they were eventually expelled from, and that they never got back. They never got it back. After the exile, they were under one form of oppression to another, to when Jesus comes now under Roman oppression. And here comes Jesus, and in verse 14, he says, For such belong the kingdom of heaven, which certainly echoes what Jesus says in Matthew 3, 2, where he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is where he is. It is not some earthly land. The purpose of parenting is not to have some land geographically in the Middle East somewhere. The purpose of parenting is that we would dwell in a kingdom where Jesus himself dwells. That's the redirect. Jesus transforms the purpose of parenting, not by telling them you are teaching the wrong things or you shouldn't be teaching them these things, but by telling them that it's not about a land. It's about a person. It's about Jesus himself. So how should that transform our parenting? I want to suggest three ways that that should transform our parenting. First, parents... Bring your kids to Jesus. Look at the text in verse 13. And we see parents bringing kids to Jesus. The children were brought to him. And the word for for children here is really infant children. So they had to be brought by presumably their parents. J.C. Ryle in his commentary on this text says this, quote, Finally, let us draw from these verses encouragement to attempt great things in the religious instruction of children. Let us begin from the very earliest years to deal with them as having souls to be lost or saved and strive to bring them to Christ. Let us make them acquainted with the Bible as soon as they can understand anything. Let us pray with them and pray for them and teach them to pray for themselves. We may rest assured that Jesus looks with pleasure on such endeavors, and is ready to bless them. We may rest assured that such endeavors are not in vain. The seed sown in infancy is often found after many days, end quote. Parents, are you bringing your children to Jesus? Amen. (laughs) Amen. We are not told who's bringing these children to Jesus. Is it the moms or the dads? But the New Testament witness is clear that fathers bear the primary responsibility, not the only, but the primary responsibility for shepherding their children. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. One way that we can do this is to lead your family in family worship. So dads, are you leading your family in family worship? How often do you pray for your children? How often do you pray with your children? How often do you sing songs of worship with your children? How often do you explain to them that they are sinners in need of a savior? Family worship does not need to be super deep. 
or theologically you know, involved. It needs to communicate truth, certainly. But more than anything, I just submit to you that family worship really just needs to be consistent. It needs to be consistent five or ten minutes a day in the word with your children. I am convinced that as the father goes, so goes the family. But dads, you are not alone. Even though you are responsible for leading your family and to lead your children, you're not alone. Moms, you must help your husbands lead. Understand that your husband has the responsibility to shepherd your family, and that is a huge weight on his shoulders. But don't let him do it on his own. You may not be ultimately responsible, but you are his helpmate. So pray with your husband and pray for your husband and help him by bearing the burden of the souls of these precious children. Encourage him to continue leading his family even if it's inconsistent. Do not beat him down when he fails, but build him up when he succeeds. Pray for your husbands. Second, parents, model for your children faith in Jesus. Model for your children faith in Jesus. When I was growing up, I was often told of Jesus' love for me. I was told often that Jesus was king of kings and lord of lords. And, and I was told often about the truth of scripture. But how did I know that that was true? Certainly as a little kid, I just believed it. Because I believed anything my parents told me. I believed the cow jumped over the moon. Well, I just to keep believing what my parents say. Surely for a season, that's what kids do. But... But kids will be much more convinced of the truth of your words by the actions that accompany your words, parents. There is no more powerful witness than the lives you lead in front of your children. Dads, this is especially important for you. Especially important. As the head of your house, you model faith for the whole family. When I was young, I learned that my dad loved Jesus. And I didn't learn that by mere words alone. I learned that from my dad's actions. Because every morning, I mean every morning, I would wake up. And before I would, I would see my dad, he, I would see him at the dining room table with his Bible open, with his notebook out, reading scripture and praying for every single one of his children, all six of them by name, writing out what he wants for them, praying that the Lord would save them, that the Lord would use them, that the Lord would raise up faithful wives for his sons and faithful husbands for his daughters. I learned that Jesus loved me because my dad loved Jesus well before he ever loved me, and that was the best thing he could have ever done for me. So dads, are you spending time with Jesus? Is Jesus the most important person in your life? Do your children see that? And do your children know that you love Jesus? Third, parents, trust your children to Jesus. Trust your children to Jesus. What are you trusting in to see your kids one to Christ? Is it your works? Maybe it's your love for them. Maybe it's your discipleship of your kids. You're really intelligent or really um, 
diligent in your discipleship of your children. Maybe it's your witness to them, your lives that you live in front of them. Certainly all those things are good, but they're not enough. The only person who can save your children is Jesus. Parents, dads, who are you ultimately trusting the heart of your children to? Psalm 3.8 says, salvation belongs to the Lord. So parents, if salvation belongs to the Lord, then trust the Lord to bring it. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It is not a surefire promise that all kids will be saved, but we can have confidence that God wants our kids to know him and that he will often reward the faithfulness of parents. Does it not make sense that if God wanted you to be a Christian, then he would also want your kids to know him and for them to be Christian as well? If God wanted a relationship with you, why would he not also want a relationship with your children? Jesus loves your children far more than you do, far more, and he will do what is right and good. So pray for your kids and then leave them lovingly in the arms of Jesus. Jesus transforms the purpose of parents by showing them that the purpose of parenting is to lead their kids to Jesus. But Jesus doesn't only transform the purpose of, the, of parents. He also transforms the purpose of his people. With me at our second point, Jesus transforms the purpose of his people. Beginning in verse 13 and going into verse 14, it says, The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. How is it that these disciples rebuked these parents? In Jesus' day, it was common for Jewish parents to bring their children to rabbis for blessing and prayer. So how is it that these Jewish men, who had spent the better part of two years under Jesus' teaching, who had seen Jesus heal the sick, the blind, the lame, the crippled, calm storms with the word of his power, they had just seen Jesus use a child as an object lesson not long ago in Matthew 18. How is it that they could rebuke parents? Remember that a rebuke isn't just an annoyance at someone else. In the text, the Greek for rebuke is used to describe uh, what the disciples say. And it's the same word used in Matthew 16, 21, where Peter rebukes Jesus for predicting his death. And Jesus responds to Peter with his own rebuke. The rebuke isn't just saying that, that that's annoying or you shouldn't do that. It's saying you're wrong, that you're sinning. This is sinful and you need to stop. The disciples have rendered a judgment on these parents. Evidently, the disciples did not have the same heart as Jesus. Here we see that you can spend time with Jesus, but if you aren't applying his word to your life. You will not have the heart that loves like Jesus does. And we see Jesus' response to them in his own rebuke. He says, do not hinder them. Now, Matthew doesn't use the word for rebuke here to describe Jesus' response, but Jesus is still rebuking his disciples. In Mark's account of the story, we learn that Jesus was indignant or very angry. 
The idea is that this rebuke, while not explicit, would still be as forceful as when Jesus told Peter to get behind me, Satan, for you're a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The point is this. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And Jesus wants his people to love the little children as well. And to stop parents from bringing children to Jesus is to be a hindrance to Jesus and his ministry. So how can we, as God's church, love children well? First, church, do not hinder children from coming to Jesus. How do we do that? Well, we hinder them by not showing the love that Jesus has for them in our lives. We cannot say Jesus loves little children of the world and act unloving towards the parents of other people's children or to the children themselves. You may disagree with how a parent in the church is raising their kids. You may disagree. You may disagree with how your neighbor raises their kids. And you might disagree with how your brother or sister raises their kids. And you might be right but you will not win them by being cold to them. You will not win them by being judgmental towards them. Instead of telling parents all the ways that they are wrong, point them to Jesus. Tell them of Jesus' love for them. And tell them of Jesus' love for their children. Tell them of the ultimate purpose for their lives and for the lives of their children. In Matthew 19, 14, uh, the ultimate purpose is for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus ultimately wants to spend eternity with parents and children in heaven with him, praising and glorifying God. So point them ultimately to the king of the kingdom. Second, church. Remind families of the truth and trustworthiness of Jesus. Parenting is hard. I haven't been doing it for very long, and it's really, really hard. Really hard. And in our age, parenting is fraught with many tragedies and hardships. In our age, in the age of abortion, many parents fear coming to the church because they fear judgment. Certainly, we must call abortion a sin. But as God's church, we are entrusted with teaching the whole counsel of God's word. And we cannot speak about the tragedy of the loss of children without offering the balm of grace that is in this text, in the gospel. Here we see that Jesus receives little children. And I mentioned earlier, the Greek here is used to describe children from like zero to two years of age, somewhere in that range. These children would not be able to exercise saving faith in Jesus. And yet Jesus receives them. There's no one text we can point to that say all little children go to be with Jesus. But there is ample evidence that points to this truth. For example, we see in uh, Jesus here that he eagerly desires to receive little children, to pray with them, and to bless them. Jesus eagerly desires that. And second, we can see that David 
when he lost his baby after his adulterous and murderous affair with Bathsheba, he said this, but now he is dead, speaking of his baby. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. David is confident that he will go to his unborn dead baby. His baby that died in childbirth, he is confident that he will go to him. And third, we know that God desires all people to come to him. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then we also see that God judges people for what they know and how they respond to him. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, says this, quote, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his divine attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For all they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. End quote. Notice that God's wrath comes on those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. If your child is unable to know God's truth, either because of age or some kind of mental handicap, then you can trust God's just judgment to be fair. God is a just God. And you, but you say, what about the sin nature imputed to us, born to us in Adam? Albert Moeller, in his very comforting article, The Salvation of the Little Ones, I highly encourage you to read it, says this, quote, each will answer according to what he has done and not for the sin of Adam. The imputation of Adam's sin and guilt explains our inability to respond to God without regeneration. But the Bible does not teach that we will answer for Adam's sin, end quote. Ultimately, there's a mystery here, but we have enough evidence to trust God with the salvation of little ones. So church, when members in our family struggle with the loss of a child, whether that be through death or miscarriage, hold out to them the sweet balm of this truth that God loves the little children of the world. Remember the song you learned as a child. Jesus loves the little children, all the little children of the world. Shades of brown from dark to light, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. In a little while, we're going to be dedicating a few babies. And this will not save those babies. And it's not our version of infant baptism. We don't believe that the Bible teaches that we should be baptizing infants. But this is our commitment as parents to the, and the church. We're going to make certain vows before each other and before the Lord. So let us take these vows and, as parents and as God's people seriously. God wants us to faithfully bring these children up to know the Lord. And church, you have a role in that as well. If you're a Sunday school teacher, faithfully pray for the kids in your class. Spend time with them. Faithfully teach the gospel. All of us can spend time with children. I'm so encouraged by the big sis, uh, little sis, big bro, little bro program that's going on right now. 
where adults and older people in the faith are being able to spend time with younger people and just get to know them and love on them and show them the love of Jesus. So think about that. Think about visiting with the families and getting to know their children. See what they like and see how you can encourage those kids to know Jesus. If you're a youth leader or volunteer, faithfully pray for the students. Fellowship with them and point them to Jesus by sharing the gospel with them. If you're a member, just come alongside families. Remind them of God's love for them and of God's love for their children. Point them constantly to Jesus. That is our responsibility as a church entrusted with the gospel. Jesus transforms the purpose of the church. Jesus gives us the purpose of leading people to him through the gospel, and that includes the little children of the world. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus also transforms the purpose of children. Look with me at our third point from the text. Jesus transforms the purpose of children. Beginning in verse 15, it says, And he laid his hands on them and went away. Jesus' love for children is not just directed at parents or the church. His love is directed at the children themselves. After Jesus rebukes his disciples, we read that Jesus laid his hands on them. In Mark's account of the same story, it's even more intimate than that. In Mark 10, 16, it says, He took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus takes the children that these parents brings to him and holds them in his arms, prays over them, and blesses them. Look at the heart of Jesus. He's the one who created this, these children. In Psalm 139, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Jesus not only created this, these children, but he delights in them and takes them in his arms because he loves these children. If I could speak to the children just a moment, for just a moment, children of PBC, Jesus wants you to know six things from this text. First, Jesus is not too busy for you. He is in the middle of a multi-year-long ministry where he's preaching, teaching, he's healing. He's preparing his father, followers to deal with the reality of his death and his resurrection. And he's dealing with hard people who rebuke parents for bringing children to Jesus. But he stops all that he's doing, all of it, so that he can have these children brought to him. Children of PBC, Jesus wants you to come to him. Second, children, Jesus wants you to know that he lived a perfect life. You are going to disobey your parents. I promise. My daughter is already showing signs of that, and she's almost nine months old. You're going to sin and fall short. The Bible says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but Jesus never falls short. He never disobeys. He lived a perfect life, and he never sins. Third, children, Jesus wants you to know that he died for you. 
Why would Jesus need to die if he never did anything wrong? It's because he loves you, children. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus died so that he could pay for all your sins. Jesus doesn't want God to punish you. He wants God to bless you. That's why he blesses these children. Jesus wants you to know that you can have the kingdom of heaven with Jesus. And fourth, children, Jesus wants you to know that he rose from the dead. Jesus didn't stay dead, but Jesus rose on the third day. Jesus doesn't open his arms only to these children from 2,000 years ago, but he opens his arms now and today for all of you children of PBC, for all children everywhere, for all time, because he rose from the dead and he has the power to save you. Fifth, Jesus wants you to trust him. The Bible teaches us that those who believe in Jesus and turn from their sins will be saved. So children, do you believe that Jesus loves you? If you do, then let me ask you another question. Have you turned from your sin? That means telling your sins to Jesus. And it means trying not to do them anymore. It means trying to do what Jesus says is right. If you believe in Jesus, if you've turned away from your sins, then the Bible is clear that Jesus will receive you with open arms forever. Children, Jesus loves you and wants you to come to him. And six, children, Jesus wants you to know that you aren't too young to serve him. If you believe in Jesus, then he says you're a part of his body. That means you get to serve him and be used by Jesus to make a difference. Don't think that you're too young or too small to serve Jesus in his church. Jesus wants to use even the children in this church to spread the gospel. So talk to your parents or talk to your Sunday school teachers or one of your pastors about how you can serve Jesus, how you can get involved and spread the gospel even as a little child. Jesus loves the little children of the world and he loves when parents bring their children to Jesus. Church, help parents bring their, children's, their children to Jesus. Parents, never stop bringing your kids to Jesus. Never stop. Jesus holds his arms open with love to receive them. And kids, run to Jesus. He stands with open arms, ready to embrace you with his love. So run to him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the good gift that you have given to parents by blessing them with children. Lord, we thank you for being the creator of every one of us, that we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. That it's not just us in this church who are fearfully made, but even those outside of the church who are fearfully and wonderfully made. We pray that we would 
be a church that's faithful to raise the next generation with a zeal and love for the Lord and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they would be willing to go outside of this church and share the love that Jesus has for them with the children in their schools, in their co-ops, in their neighborhoods, on their sports teams, and in their communities. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who loves children. That you desire all children to come to you and to know you and to believe in the gospel. So Lord, I pray that we would be a church that faithfully raises children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, passing on the gospel to the next generation and the generation after them. Thank you for children. Thank you for parents. Thank you for the church. And more importantly, thank you for Jesus who saves all of us and who loves the little children of the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please stand and join us.
have a seat. We're going to have a special time of baby dedication. Uh, so this is a really important time in the life of the church. And I think uh, given the sermon we just heard, it might be helpful just to get our hearts around this and sing that song that Sam referenced, Jesus Loves the Little Children, All the Children of the World. Shades of brown from black to white, they are precious in his sight. Can we do that? Very good. All right, so when we do a baby dedication, uh, it's helpful for us to say what we don't mean, what we do mean by this. It is not a sacrament. In some of our uh, different denominations, uh, they'll talk about a sacrament. It's something that, that gives grace to people. So we don't think that a baby that goes through this is better off or receives extra grace or anything like that. It does not save uh, so we believe, like Sam preached a moment ago, that, that we are saved through faith in the work of Jesus. So that's what we want for these little children. What a baby dedication is, is it's a symbol and it's a statement. Uh, the symbol of baby dedication is this. It, it symbolizes the truth that my child is a gift from God on loan to me. Now, parents, whether we publicly say that or not, it's still true. Our kids are a gift from God on loan to us. And a baby dedication, we're just kind of publicly acknowledging that. And the statement of baby dedication is, is a couple of things. We're, we're saying as parents that I will treasure my child as a gift from God. I will teach my child the gospel of God, the good news, and then I will do this alongside the people of God. And that's why we do that here in the church. So parents, when I call your names, I'm going to ask you to please come forward and stand here at the front and face out toward the congregation. Uh, first, Jeremy and Channing Collins are not able to be with us today. We want to pray for them and for their little ones. One of them is not doing well. She's just a little sick. So pray for them and hopefully we'll be able to have them to do this soon. Uh, but I'm going to ask uh, Bubba and Lynn Jones and their great niece, Avery Giselle, and Sam and Phoebe Garcia with their daughter, uh, Lydia Kellyanne. So parents are going to come up. Got a gift for you from the church. All right, parents, I'm going to read a commitment. And I'm going to ask you, if you will, to listen as I read it. I think it might also be on the screen. And uh, after I finish, if you agree to that, you can reply by saying, we do. Okay? So parents, will you commit to trust God's promises made to you and your children in his word? Will you commit to seek God and seek gospel change in the way you live and parent your children? Will you commit to discipline them and show them grace? Will you commit to teach God's word to them and live out the gospel in your home? Will you commit to pray for them and teach them to pray? 
And will you commit to partner with this church community, seek their help and accountability, and lead your children to do the same? Proverbs 17, 6 says, grandchildren are the, gra- the crown of the age, and there's great joy in seeing a new grandchild added to the family. So we also pray for the grandparents who aren't here today, but for grandparents to also honor this commitment in caring for their grandchildren. And then also, this is a commitment for the community, the church. Uh, parents, I think we're sometimes tempted to believe that we can do all of this on our own but we can't. We need the gospel, and we need the community and the support of the local church. So church, every one of us is responsible to love and care for these little ones. So if you're a member of Pocosin Baptist Church, I'm gonna ask you if you want to stand up with me, and you're gonna pledge your commitment to these parents as part of your church family. Okay, so parents, you are not alone. This is your community of faith. This is your family. The commitment's on the screen. I'm going to read it. And when I'm through, if you make that commitment today, would you respond by saying, we do. Pocosin Baptist Church, will you commit to seek God and seek gospel change in the way you live before these children? Will you commit to pray for them, that they grow to love Jesus and trust in Him? Will you commit to teach them the gospel through both your words and your example. Will you commit to partner with these parents, holding them accountable and, when necessary, confronting in love their sin? And will you commit to pray for them and encourage them as they face the trials of parenting? If you agree with all of that, will you say, we do? We do. Amen. Let's pray, and then we'll receive our benediction and be dismissed. Father, we thank you for these parents. We thank you for these little ones. Lord, we pray today for Jeremy and Channing and and for their two little ones. We pray for grace for them and pray that they'll be able to be back with us soon. And Lord, we pray for Sam and Phoebe and for Bubba and Lynn. And we pray for little Lydia and for little Avery. And God, we pray for these parents that you would give them grace and wisdom and strength and joy as they care for these little ones. May they be faithful, as we heard today, to bring these little ones to Jesus. May they be faithful to trust these little ones in the arms of Jesus, knowing that Jesus, you alone, are strong enough to care for our children. Lord, may we as your people come alongside these parents and these little ones and love them well and lead them to you. And we pray all of these things in the mighty and powerful hand of Jesus. Amen. I invite all of you to stand with us. Praise the Lord. Yes, praise the Lord. You can clap. Praise the Lord. Amen. I invite you to stand with us and and receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in his peace today.